Good morning. What a great way to end our year together at Men's Breakfast. Um, so thankful to have all of you guys here. You know, we were really slow on RSVPs on this. I think about a week ago we had 29 people RSVP'd. And uh, Mark, uh, Mark and I always have texts back and forth. And I was like, oh, my gosh, is this the month that no one's going to come? <laughs> but you guys always amaze me. Some of you, a lot of you are last minute. And I'm uh, frustrated and thankful at the same time. <laughs> so thank you guys for being here. I really, really am truly thankful. Um, you know, what's interesting is you kind of look over th- this past year. And um, we were doing, I was doing all the numbers last night just to see how many people had actually come to this event. Over this last year, we've had almost 1,500 men attend this event. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's a hand clap for sure. <laughs> truly, truly thankful for so many of you that support and come back time and time and time again to support this event and bring your friends. So thank you very, very much. You know, as you know, we're in the middle of the final year of Christmas Train. And I will tell you that, as you know, Pastor George has said this, that that event takes about 400, between four and 500 volunteers a night to make happen. And we really need your help. Um, to, to finish this year strong. You know, having just enough is probably not enough. We probably need extra. So um, if you have not signed up to volunteer, you can go to volunteer.christmastrain.com and sign up there. And I would encourage you to sign up not just for one night, but a couple nights if you can, a couple nights if you can. Uh, I know our family does that every year and tries to make, um, tries to make a run of that, especially toward um, the end of the month, because obviously with all of us, end of the month in December gets to be, I don't know how it is at your house, but my house is just full on crazy, full on crazy with parties and stuff to go to and kids events. And my kids are just constantly pulling $20 bills out of my pocket for something they need somewhere. I need a gift for this or gift for that. And so it's, it's a little bit crazy, but it is the one time in our house when things are really great is when you're truly giving away something that is special to you, which is your time. And so in the month of December, it's a really big deal. So if you have not signed up, I, I highly encourage you. I always come away with more than what I feel like I gave. And so consider that this year, this Christmas for sure. Uh, and the website is up on the screen if you wanted to look at that. And also, as you know, small groups are ending, have ended for this year. And we have small groups starting already uh, for January. And I've asked uh, John Starr to come up today and talk just for a couple minutes about small groups, about men's small groups and about how uh, we could use your involvement in that as well. So come on up. Thank you, Johnny. Hey, uh, I really appreciate the fact that Johnny does this. It's really good to have a consistent uh, men's ministry going on every month that you know you can go to, and uh, I'd like to y'all to join me in giving Johnny a hand clap for doing this for us. All right, uh, I just want to take a couple of minutes here. Uh, Brian Job, who spoke, who does the Mountain Men Ministry, uh, would have liked to have been here. Uh, he's unfortunately is traveling today, so I'm filling in for him. Uh, some of you may or may not know that he is the coordinator of our men's groups here. So he's right below Scott Johnson. Uh, he's the, uh, the men's group coordinator. Uh, his wife is the ladies' group coordinator. And, uh, you know, the truth is she has about three times as many women's groups as men's groups. So... Uh, Part of, uh, I'll guilt you a little bit there about what I'm going to talk about to try to help get some more men's groups going. But anyway, underneath Johnny, we have uh, hub leaders, uh, which I'm one of. Well, I know Mark Delaney here. Is there any other hub leaders? If you're a hub leader, would you stand up? Where's Mark? All right, there's Mark. Okay, thanks, Mark. Anyway, there's four of us hub leaders that are underneath Johnny that kind of work with the uh, individual men's group leaders, if they need any help, if they need the kind of a liaison so that not everybody's calling Brian uh, directly. 
But anyway, what I wanted to talk to you about this morning is this last semester we had 23 men's groups, and uh, which I know that may, I think we had maybe 22 coaches because I I had I led two men's groups last semester. But you know, in a church this size, we should have at least uh, 100 men's groups going. So our goal for this next semester is to have uh, is to have 50 men's groups. We're going to start there and try to double in size. So uh, I know some of you probably are involved in men's groups. Uh, maybe some of you have thought about leading men's groups and just haven't done it. You know, I was in that situation about a year and a half ago. I was kind of thinking about it. I went through next move and kind of got convicted. I need to step up and do it. But, you know, I wasn't quite sure I was ready to do it on my own. And, you know, fortunately, I had a guy come alongside me and kind of co-coach with me the first semester. And so that's something I've talked to Brian about doing this semester is that, you know, if there's some of you who say, hey, I've got the house, I'm willing to do it, but I kind of like some guy to sit with me and kind of co-lead first semester uh, or first deal, we're going to do that. So what are your opportunities? Well, we, the church really has a lot of uh, breath on what they allow us to do. You can do the traditional one, which is the, what's the old house-to-house model, which is the uh, weekly uh, snippets of the service and discuss those. You can do an interest group, you know, hunting. Uh, we have a gaming group, a board game group, things like that. So if you've got a particular interest you want to build it around, you can. You can do a particular study. The church has several uh, studies that are approved uh, that, that you can do. Uh, and they have a uh, online access port now where the videos, you don't even have to have the, the DVDs anymore. You can just play it straight off your, uh, your stream. Or you can submit your own study. I wanted to do a study called uh, Your One Degree, which is kind of an advanced version of uh, Next Move 3.0. You know, who am I? Why am I here? So I took that to them. They approved it. So if you've got something that's not on the list, you can take it and get it, try to get it approved. Anyway, what I would like to tell you this morning is uh, give you the dates. Uh, we've got to get the group signed up by December 14th, so we're about 12 days away. So if you have an interest, we really need to know and try to help you get there. Uh, so I've got a sheet over here. If you want, you're interested, I'll be at this table right over here. So uh, come by after and get it. it. It's got a list of some of the curriculum that's approved. The groups themselves don't start until the end of January. So as Johnny said, I know we're all busy. We're all crunched for time. This isn't going to happen for another, you know, two months. So we'll be past the holiday rush. The sign-ups for getting in a group will start January 1st, for those of you that might be interested in that. But anyway, if you're interested in leading a group, uh, we need to get you signed up by December 14th. Um, and I've got three sheets over here. If you're interested and want to get more information, you know, one says I'm interested in leaving a group. One says I'd lead a group if I had a co-leader. And one says, just contact me for more information. So if you're interested, I'll take your information. Uh, Brian or I want to be in touch with this next week and try to get you facilitated. Uh, let me close with this. My, uh, I, like I said, I have two groups. I teach this year one degree, which is a group of guys that come in every semester. They graduate out. We get a new group next semester. I also have what we call our life group. Not that we're in it for life, but we're doing life together. So it's the same bunch of guys with one or two in or out every semester doing life. And we've been doing this study on authentic manhood. And uh, the definition of a man they've given us is four things. And it really applies to some of you that might be thinking about leading small groups. First thing is you reject passivity. That means you become a person of action. You're gonna lead a group. You lead courageously. 
That doesn't mean you don't have fear. Courage means you're going to do it despite fear. So you may have a little fear or apprehension about doing it, but you're going to do it courageously. The other one is accept responsibility. To those who are given much, much is expected. I think everybody at this church that's been here very long knows how blessed we've been in this, by this ministry. And finally is you invest eternally for eternal rewards, not necessarily for something you're going to receive here. But I will tell you from personal experience, just like many things you invest eternally, you'll get rewards in doing this. Thank you. You took my notes. You took my notes. <laughs> Somewhere in there. You had a lot of you have a lot of papers there. Yeah, I forgot I forgot to tell the millennials. Between the sun tablet and that Apple Sun note, it's separate. Very excited this morning to have Mr. Birch with us today. Um, he's administrator at LCS and has been there for seven years. He's been in public education for twenty six years. And Coach Melton says he's the best, the most gifted O line coach he's ever known. He's been married to his wife, Kelly, for 29 years, and they have three children, two of which his sons are, are here today. His passion in life is his, ki- his kids, and the vehicles he uses to, to, um, uh, to live, um, that passion has been football and school, so that's how he reaches them. Uh, we're honored to hear from this tried and true servant leader today, Mr. Tranny Birch, and I welcome him to the stage now. Thank you. Guys, thank you. This is incredible. All I can really say is you must have had a slow Friday <laughs> if you've chosen to come out here because uh, there's a lot of ugly in that picture right there, and now you get to see it full frontal. <laughs> I think it's only appropriate here that we open up with a quick word of prayer, so, so if you guys don't mind, let me, let me start us off there. Father, come to you this morning. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for men like Johnny and... and uh, uh, people that, that are visionaries, Lord, that, that uh, you plant a seed, they see it, take it, and run with it. Um, Lord, the, the men that have been impacted through this is incredible. Thank you for the opportunity and continue to bless this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, guys, a quick bio just on myself. Um, the long and the short of it is I'm a football guy. I don't know exactly how or why, but I'm a football guy. Um, I've been in a locker room really since I was born, uh, especially since we moved to the city and I started football in school age. There's really never been a time in my life that, that I haven't been in a locker room in some capacity until, you know, the last few years on a regular basis. So my goal today is just to lay out a convincing case to you and to really echo what John said about the path to masculinity. Um, I found a couple of scriptures in the Bible that really speak to this well. And it's no doubt that, that they're penned by King Solomon. In, in Proverbs 27 and 17, Solomon writes that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. I think that's a huge edict to all of us. And I think it's one that really gets overlooked and, and misapplied a lot of times through our life. And, and the other one is found in Ecclesiastes, which, you know, Solomon also wrote. And, and, and in that it says, and I love this New Living Translation version where he says, um, two people are better than one because they help each other succeed. And I'm telling you, for, for me, 
And whatever it is I am in my stage of life right now, I would never have made it to this portion of anything without men, especially that have poured into me. And, and, and here's a question I wrestle with. Why me? Man, I'm just a jack wagon from the country that, that grew up in a locker room. I have no idea why, why, why God has, has invested the things and entrusted in the things to me. I wrestle with that question some days. But then I fall back and, and I see you know, those two scriptures and I, I see people that, that have taken time and people that I've developed a relationship with and really allows me a smidge of focus to come in. And so with that, in those two things, those, those guys, those are verses we've all heard of, but I love it when words paint a pretty clear picture. And I think in the Bible, there's a great story on Paul. Now, we all know Paul. Paul's written, you know, what two-thirds of the New Testament and, and had his fingers on a lot of things there. But I find the fact that, that people sharpened Paul and, and he in turn sharpened um, others as sort of a convincing fact in all this. You guys know the story. On the road, uh, he comes face to face with the Lord. I mean, this is the guy that persecuted, that just butchered people uh, that, that were believers. He comes face to face with the Lord, blinded by the light, just, just struck down essentially. Has his repents, changes his heart. He becomes a preacher. Of all things at the time, this guy that had butchered people historically becomes a preacher, preaches the word. Now the problem was, and at that time he was known as Saul when he did this, and so the problem was he has this cool conversion thing that's really unbelievable, but the people around the land still know him as Saul. This is the guy, now watch out, because this is the guy that's coming He's saying one thing, but his history shows another. His reputation preceded him. And so, enter a man named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was, was, was a rock star to me. Barnabas was, was born into the world with the name of Joseph, but the apostles actually changed his name to Barnabas because he's such an encourager. He was one of the early pioneers of the church along um, uh, with Paul, but he preceded Paul. And so, Barnabas has some type of a relationship with Paul that I'm really not sure of, but he hears him preach in Damascus. You know, even in Acts 9.27, um, Barnabas, Barnabas goes to the apostles and hears, or, or excuse me, talks to the apostles and says, listen, I have heard this guy in Damascus and he has preached in Jesus' name boldly without fear. And this is the same guy that has butchered people. And so the apostles welcome him in, and you know the rest of the story. Now that's really one quick area of, of Paul being sharpened by somebody else, by Barnabas. By Barnabas having the faith, taking a look, seeing for his own eyes, and going, hey, here's what I see. He spoke into his life. And in turn, Paul, in his travels, meets a young man named Timothy. Now, Timothy is, is a younger guy at the time. I read several accounts, and, and younger at that time was probably younger than what's considered now. Uh, but, but it talks about when Timothy came into his ministry, somewhere around, and there's various reports, but about 48 years old. And so Paul sort of adopts Timothy. And Paul takes all these things that he has learned and he has, he has gone through and in turn pours into Timothy. 
much like I can imagine Barnabas did for him. And so, for the rest of this, this time together, for our time together, I'm going to ask this. I want you to assume the role of a Paul of sorts. And I'm going to take us down a trip, um, not for you younger guys, because it's a short trip, but for most of us in the room, I'm going to take you down a trip, uh, memory lane, and I hope it's a pleasant one, because as I really sat down and, and put this to paper, it was pretty cool for me. Now, I'm sure... I'm sure that the, the things we'll talk about and that I feel like happened really didn't happen the way I remember them because I looked through it with jaded eyes because really all I remember is mostly the great times. Now, don't, don't, this is not an indictment. This is not, if you didn't grow up like this, it, I'm not, it, this is not a bad thing. I just want you to understand where I'm headed with this. And so if you have these guys that have played these roles, just, just, Substitute those in your mind, but think through each of these with me. Now, I've been, I've been, as Johnny said, 26 years. It's my 26th year in education. Um, I've been at seven schools in my career, and I've always chased that next greatest head coaching job, or that next greatest job. And 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 sometimes I found the next greatest job. Sometimes I found a huge lump of coal. But without those lumps of coal, I wouldn't know what happened and the glory on the other side of it. And so I'm hoping this is my last school, and, and I'll be here as long as I'm called and as pastor will have me. But through that time, I estimate that just on the teams that I've been a part of, I have been involved in, in a, a little over 2,000 kids' lives just in football. And guys, I'm telling you, to me, again, as I sit down and start to write this stuff out, it is clear to me the kids that I look back on, the coaches that I look back on that I hired or that I worked with, and it sticks out like a sore thumb, those who had great, strong, healthy male influence versus those who didn't. It's really, it's really heartbreaking to me as I think back over the seven schools that I've been at and, and the couple of thousand kids, give or take, that, that I've been a part of. And, and many of those kids, not now certainly not 2,000, but there's a whole host of kids from the seven schools that I still keep up with today. And guys, I'm talking about I started this whole deal way back in, in the 90s, like 1991, 1990, 91. And, and even as old as I am, I just turned 50. I, I still have great relationships with some of those kids. And, and really, that's what this whole deal is about for me. And so I want to give honor to those guys through this process that, that have poured into me and talk about some of the kids that, that I have experienced as well. I don't want to discredit, however, the fact of the role that women play in our lives. However, that's not the venue for this. Um, I have yet to meet a man or a woman who can really talk to the other about the true struggles that we face. I don't know a woman that, that can talk to me about the trials and tribulations I've had to experience that I really needed help from a man. And I don't know a man, <laughs> certainly not me. I have a wife and a daughter. And, and it's like Jupiter. <laughs> That's when I say, boys, let's go. 
let's go to the gun show or let's hey, games on TV. I don't care what game it is. I would I would watch golf and take a nap. You guys go do that. So I don't want to downplay the, the fact and the role and the importance of women, but again, not the venue, very important. So don't take any of this as, 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 as sexist or, or any of that. I just want to talk through some of the man stuff. There's an author I read. His name is John Eldridge. Some of you guys maybe have heard of him. John Eldridge really writes and, and categorizes a ton of things on the journey to manhood. He's written a lot of things, and my first exposure to John was several years ago um, when one of these guys that, that poured into me, named Bill Blankenship, was the head coach at Tulsa Union at the time, and just a relationship that, that I had, had built with him, he called a group of us, younger guys at the time, and he said, hey, I'm going to start a men's group, and, and I want you to be a part of it. And so we studied a book called The Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, and it talks about our individual journeys as men. And so I become intrigued with this, and it's a great group, and man, I, I really grew because it taught me about another stage that we'll talk about. But in another book, Eldridge calls, or, or titles, The Way of the Wild at Heart. And this is where he talks to me at this time of my life as a man who is influencing kids. And it stuck out to me because, again, I'm, I was a ball coach. And that's what stuck out to me because I was with kids every single day of my life. And, and, and I mean every single day of my life. When, when, when you're at, at, at places and schools that, that you know, aren't as fortunate as we are at Lincoln, problems are very real. And I'm not to, to discount that our kids don't have problems. They do. We're human beings. We're all broken. We all have problems. But the calls at Christmas that come when, when dad has, has, has abused mom or mom has come home, you know, in, in, in drunk or, or, or whatever, or it hasn't come home at all. Or the kid at, at, at Sepulpa who is, is uh, sitting at home um, watching Channel 8 News one night and sees a murder report or, or, or a dead body report. And he looks, they show a sheet, and the kid goes, man, those shoes look like my dad's. And so, they don't identify the guy. A few hours go by, Benny finds out it's his dad. Benny's dad was the town drunk. He had come out of a local tavern there, and the popular theory was he had offended some people, and, and, and they took action. So I have a young man whose mom had passed away from cancer, whose dad he sees murdered, laying by the railroad tracks that go right across the middle of town. His brother, by the way, is, is in prison because he's a drug dealer. So here's Benny. Coach, what do I do? We had a coach on the staff that took him in and adopted him. Benny's had several struggles and trials there. But uh, that's a little bit of the taste of, of what happens in some situations. And I, I, I share that story because Benny is a guy that needed a man to sharpen him. His visual of masculinity was way off. Was way off. 
And so through these next few minutes, I want to try to paint a picture of some of the good stuff, some of the better stuff. Eldridge talks about the development and the journey of, of boys to men really in six stages. And they're really cool. For me, this was the coolest part of this whole deal in preparation because I'd read this book and I, and I, I journaled some things about it. But he talks about these six stages. And, and for me, it stuck out like a sore thumb. And maybe you will too. So I'm going to ask you to lean into this. And, and, and what I need from you is think through these times that affected you as well. Now, you may need to substitute some names or dates or faces or something like that, but, but you'll get the gist of it. The first stage that Eldridge talks about is boyhood. Now, boyhood is roughly birth through 12, 13, 14, maybe 11, 10, depending on, on your experiences and where you're at. And I, In my mind, <laughs> I have a visual. Now, again, I'm, I'm old. I'm 50. And so the visual for me of somebody that goes through the boyhood stage just the right way is Opie Taylor. And, and as I'm jotting this down, I'm thinking, man, my life was so much like that. And, and the boyhood stage is a time of, of affirmation, of, of, of wonder, of discovery, because everything is brand new. And kids in the boyhood stage are really trying to answer one big question as they go through. They're trying to answer and figure out in themselves, do I have what it takes? Because somebody or somebody's in their life is providing a role model. And what they're trying to figure out is, do I have what it takes to, to be him? Now for me, I don't know who it was for you, and that's what I'm going to ask you to think about while I talk. For me, and I suppose in every healthy environment it should be, it was my dad. Now, at this stage of my life, in the boyhood stage, especially the early stage, we lived on a small farm in Arkansas. And, and this was the late 60s and the early 70s for me. And guys, at that time period of life, there was a, a, a guy known nationally... That, that really embodied rugged masculinity. And that was a Marlboro man. And you guys remember, I, I remember the commercials. I didn't really know what the gist of it all was then. But here's what I remember. That cowboy guy. And he had those, those, those leather gloves on with that little, red, that little red strap here on the side that he cinched down and he was roping and he was riding his horse and he was working cattle. Guys, that was my dad. And when I'm that age, that's what I see. I didn't know that at the time, but I lived, my dad was the Marlboro man. We lived on a small farm. He worked our, our cattle, hogs. We didn't have goats or anything. We had a few chickens. And, and, and he, that's what he did. He worked the farm. And I still have this visual. Matter of fact, at home I have a, uh, a picture of my dad. And, and, and it's, it's just like I described it. And I didn't, even, I didn't even look at it before I wrote it down. But I, there's, my dad rode a giant, at that time I was a little boy, ride the giant white horse, a Palomino, named Misty. And I thought at the time that was the largest thing I'd ever seen. And my dad was statuesque up there on top of that horse. He had his denim shirt on. 
You guys remember the denim shirt with the pearl snaps? Anybody? It was, it was cool. That's all he had. In the summer, he wore short sleeve. In the, long, in the winter, his denim shirt with the pearl snaps was long sleeve. He had his working hat on. He had his boots, his jeans. He even had the gloves with the little red thing on the side, those little calfskin gloves. And he used those when he roped and when he, when he loaded cattle in a chute and, and when he branded and when he did, did everything. That was me. That was my dad. And that was, in that time, as he's riding Misty and doing all the stuff, I didn't know he was sharpening me. Heck, I, I was just amazed that, that I, it was just, again, wonder and affirmation. The thing that, that in this stage that is critical is boys are trying to figure out and dads should be teaching that their sons are beloved to them. That helps little boys answer that question. Do I have what it takes? The next stage is, is, is one of my favorites, but it's not the favorite. It's pretty cool, though. It's called the cowboy stage. Eldridge calls it the cowboy stage. And this is, is even a different time. It, it's a lot happens in the cowboy stage for, for boys. And it starts, you know, in the transition period, again, early teens, and, and runs all the way through the late teens, give or take. And so there's a lot of transition. Life starts to move really fast as you get older. And a lot happens. The cowboy stage is uh, exploration, adventure, and, and even danger. Uh, this stage, again, being one of my favorites, I, I want to make sure I define danger. Um, I'm not talking about taking unnecessary risk. What I'm talking about is, is you know, really from, let's just say, 13 to 19-ish. That's the time when a little bit of parental separation occurs. And so let's just work with the definition of danger as being without constant parental protection or oversight. I'm off exploring. I'm searching for adventure and a little bit of danger. Guys, I think scripturally David is a pretty good picture of this because he's a, early on he's a shepherd. He's off way away from the dad and he's tending the flock. And you know the story. There's lions and bears. And this, this teenage boy is, is killing this, taking care of his flock. I think in, in a more, maybe a more modern-day approach, now you guys probably have not heard many of this, but anybody remember the movie Where the Red Fern Grows? I think of Billy. Grew up dirt poor. All Billy wanted was that coon dog, and he found a way to get it. He trains this dog, and, and he's going coon hunting. His mom and dad are working, and... They're living life, and Billy's traipsing through the hills of the Ozark Mountains, and, and he's coon hunting and training this dog. To me, that's not unlike David. That's adventure and exploration and even danger all rolled up into one. And guys, it's things, honestly, today, um, especially if you live in a, in a more urban environment, it's tough. It's tough because it has to be purposeful. There's, not, uh, there's plenty of danger in the neighborhood, but not the kind we're looking for or not the kind we want to expose our, our kids to, certainly. And so you almost have to engineer some of that. 
for me during this time, it was, it was, it was tough because we moved from the, uh, from the farm. Mom and dad make the decision, listen, this is, this is not going to be sustainable for us for the long term. So we moved to the city. Dad starts his own business. In that sense, as dad starts his own business, I had another transition in my life. So my dad is still very, very active in my life and, and, and playing a role. But this is what I found. I found coaches. Because when we came to the city, about the only thing to do was, as a kid, when your mom and dad are working, is athletics. And, and that doesn't discount, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say activities. So that doesn't discount anything. I just, for me, it was athletics. And, and as I'm searching for that early on, I find plenty of adventure and plenty of, um, of amazement and, and even some danger in the old locker rooms. And trust me, in the 70s, when you're a 7th and an 8th grade boy, you can find plenty of danger in a locker room. You can find danger with a capital D. I learned more in the locker room that I should have never learned than you can imagine. I learned uh, um, stuff that really scared the heck out of me about human reproduction. I learned, um, I learned the different things, the different noises that body parts can make and that some people had gifts in making noises that I didn't. I learned, um, I learned valuable lessons in the locker room. I learned as much what not to do as I ever did what to do. So that still provided some, some fruit for me, so to speak. But knowing and meeting coaches changed my life because they introduced me to, to tangible goals. Now, my parents expected me to do right, and I was a good kid, so to speak. And, and you know, the expectation was to work hard, but there was really nothing tangible. There was just be good, work hard. And that's great stuff, but coaches were my first exposure to tangible goals. They taught me goals of a physical nature. Listen, you need to do this. If you want to get here, this has to happen. They taught me goals of an emotional nature. Listen, you can't overreact on the field. You have to keep everything in check. They taught me goals of, of an academic nature. Listen, I grew up with, with a mom who, who um, was born in, in, in Oregon, and, and my grandfather was an, an original, honest-to-goodness lumberjack. And, and carried the, the giant saw and, and, and all that. And it was a rough life. My dad w was the product of a dirt farmer. That's all he had. And so school was really just, just sort of a means to an end. It's just what are you going to do right now until, until this happens, until this transition. So it's not that it was unimportant, but it, it just wasn't an emphasis. It was just do right and work hard. And so my, um, my coaches filled a huge role for me. And, 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 and the truth is I loved it. I sort of glommed onto it because they talked to me in a way I'd never been talked to. Um, it wasn't, it, especially again in the 70s, it wasn't my mom always offering me a cookie if I fell down. It was tough love. And, and there wasn't much gray. It was black and it was white. And the closer you got to the line of white, the harder things became. 
And, and so I loved it. I, I didn't know why, and I didn't necessarily think I loved it at the time. But again, as I go back and recount, I loved it. Now understand, this is a critical point in the story of my life because at this time, the other thing that in our life that wasn't important, I never went to church. I really wasn't sure about this Jesus. I don't know why. I don't know why my parents didn't see the value in that. I don't know. But they didn't. I was, they were great people, good people. It was a good home. It was peaceful. It, my mom, my dad loved my mom. He worked hard. He was a great guy. But there was no spiritual component. My first significant spiritual component comes to me in a locker room at Union High School with my defensive line coach, Steve Miller. And I'll never forget to this day. Sitting in the locker room floor, Coach Miller started to talk to a group of us and says, he's talking about faith. And he's using an example of tithing. And I thought, what the heck are you talking about? I mean, this is like my wife and, and daughter problems. <laughs> Way out there. But this guy had ran me until I'd puked, had loved me, had kicked me in the tail, had hugged me, had been there, had picked me up, had pushed me further than I ever thought I could go. And so if he said it, it was true. He could have told me I was Superman and I would have believed it. I wasn't ready to buy in at that moment. I was interested. And he gave a great story. And I'll never forget the story he gave. He loved to fish. And he said, you know, I'll go to my wife and I'll ask for $5. And he lived north of Nwaso. He said, I just asked my wife for $5 so I can go buy some minnows to go fishing down at Ulaga. And he said, most of the time we don't have $5. He was a teacher. In, in the 70s and the 80s, played football at Oklahoma State. He said, there's times I write the bill for the electric check knowing it's not in the account. But I write it. Because I've always written that other check first. And it always gets paid. That was 1980, 1981. I remember it like it was yesterday. So the seed that he plants later gets culted through, cultivated through, through things like FCA and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and some other athletic endeavors. And, and so ultimately I end up and, and, and I'm, I'm, I, I get saved. Man, I pray the prayer. And, and, and I mean, I, I, it was marvelous to me that... that a group called the Power Team and these big, strong guys, which I endeavored to be at the time, could 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 make these um, break these these four feet thick blocks of ice, rip telephone books, roll up frying pans, and I thought, "Holy cow, that's the coolest thing ever!" And, and they sold me. 
And, and I remember getting on my knees and, and praying the prayer and running through the house afterwards. It was awesome. That was, that's the cowboy stage. And so you see, as I transition from the little boy, my parents are still, my dad especially, playing a huge role in my life. Um, but, but transitions out through nobody's fault, just, just doing the, the business thing. And my coaches sort of step in to fill the void. Now, I don't know that that, that happens. Oh, my gosh, i got to hurry. Um, the next stage is the warrior stage. This is my favorite. And this is a stage that I think everybody should be in all the way through the end of their life. Because the warrior stage is where you find your purpose. This is where I identify my quest, my mission, my goal. What, what am I to do? For me... Um, my dad owned his own business, and I didn't want to take it over. I hated it. I hated what he did. It was not very sexy. It was boring. It was hard, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So the next year, uh, I just graduated from high school. My best friend at the time his, his, has a little brother that's in sixth grade, and he says, hey, I want you to come coach our sixth grade football team. I liked kids. I loved football. It's cool. Let's, let's make it happen. So I go, and I'm the line coach for the bunch of sixth grade kids at, at Union, and, and it's, it's awesome. Changed my life. In my pea brain, I thought I became Coach Miller. And I thought, how do I do this the rest of my life? How do I make this happen? So I go to my dad and say, I want to go to college. <laughs> he sort of chuckles because I was the guy that worked as hard to get out of school as I ever did to go to school. It was sort of like oil and water. So I called the, the head coach at NSU at the time. I set an appointment. I go down. I said, I'd love to walk on and play football. I want to go to college. I want to be a football coach. He said, come on. So I enroll in school. I head down. I get a degree. Um, long story short, I fulfilled my mission as a warrior. I found my quest, and I made it happen. The next stage is really closely related to that. And, guys, I'm going to go fast here, so, so listen fast. Is the lover stage. Now, the lover stage is not exactly what, what the, the term may conjure up, but this really is where you learn the beauty and the appreciation of the finer things in life. The biggest thing that you learn in the lover stage is that there's an intimate relationship, an intimate love with God, and that God loves you intimately. That's the, the, the key takeaway there, because without that love, you can never really fully appreciate the depth of life. And so there's a couple of guys that really poured into me uh, during the, the lover stage, um, one didn't even know he did because it was my dad. And, and he, this was the time of his death. And, and I did not really fully appreciate the beauty of life in the lover stage until my dad passes away. And, and it, takes, it causes me to take stock and take an accounting of what's going on. It also deepens my relationship with my Savior. And so that was really cool for me. The other guy was a, was a, um, a guy named Rick Jones. Coach Jones hires me at Broken Arrow. Now, now, <clears throat> Coach Melton and I used to work together, so please don't ask him because he'll greatly embellish this story. But we worked together at Broken Arrow, and um, uh, Coach Jones was incredible. Sometimes the way he sharpened me as a man hurt, but it was a great hurt. He held me accountable in ways I didn't know you could. He worked me like a dog. I loved it. In my mind, I became the Marlboro Man. Coach Jones, during the lover stage for me, taught me this. 
He said, Trandy, you don't coach football. He said, if I ever hear you say you coach football again, I'll fire you. He said, we coach kids. Period. We coach kids in life, and the vehicle that we use is football. So don't ever say you coach football again. Say you coach kids. I'm still in this stage. This is really delayed onset for me because I'm still in this stage. Um, learning to fully appreciate the beauty of life. The life of a coach is hectic. It's go, 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 go. And it's hard to take time to stop and smell the roses, but you have to, you have to make time. Pastor Greg, Pastor Scott Bloom, Coach Melton really pour into me in this stage, and, and they don't even know they do. The next stage is the king stage. And so you have a warrior and a lover, which are my favorite stages, but the king stage is where you'd make another transition. The king stage is where you are training younger warrior lovers to take their own kingdom. I love the way Eldridge phrases it. This is the point where you pass the torch in, in, a, in a way. The king stage is huge. It's where I'm at now because I'm around a building full of young men, coaches, teachers, young men, juniors and seniors in high school that are warriors, that are warriors. It's my hope that through my influence, sometimes I can help them become, become their own king and show them some steps of the trials and tribulations along the way. The last stage is the sage. Now the sage is, is again, the last and final step. And the sage is where the king's kingdom really decreases in size, but his influence increases. This is the grizzled old veteran. This is the guy that's lived through everything. This is the guy that, 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 that loves you enough to look you in the eyes and go, stop, because, or go, because, and really takes you to the next level. The sage is an incredible person. I would love to have, uh, uh, as we grow older, pick my dad's brain and, 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 and get sage advice from him. And honestly, there's some guys, again, like my coaches in the last time, they don't even know they're doing it. Pastor Greg is one of those for me. He's only a few days older than I am, but he's one of the most incredibly wisest men I've ever met. He loves me enough to say, Trandy, stop. Trandy, go. Trandy, do this. Do that. Rick Jones is still another one of those guys for me. I call him anytime. I hit something. He's a little older than I am. I know he's already been through it. He says, we'll work through it. And of course, at a place like this, I get a chance to work with Pastor George in my role quite often. I get a chance to hear and to listen to him in meetings and in different things. And holy cow, golden wisdom with every word that comes out. And again, these are guys that don't even know they're playing this role. For me. So there you have it. <laughs> Guys, I, I feel like we're all charged with sharpening someone and allowing ourselves to be sharpened. And I implore you, I encourage you, go out today. 
Take stock. Find somebody to pour into. You have something that somebody needs to know. You have something. I don't care how old you are. You have something that somebody needs to know. And just like that, there's something or some things in your life that somebody can help you with. Develop those relationships because that's what it's all about. You guys have been incredible. I'm sorry I ran long. Thank you so much for your time. We'll get you guys out of here just real quick. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we know is, is, is that we need to know which phase that we're in. Because uh, you know, even as I also, all of us age, you, uh, you're going from phase to phase. And you've got to know which phase you're in to make sure that you are equipped to meet that, the demands of that phase. So really important that we know that. Um, you know, over this past year, we've heard from 12 great men. And obviously, uh, Mr. Birch is one of those great men. And I'm so thankful for... Uh, all of our speakers that are here today, I know Coach Melton is here, Randy DeBell is here, Stephen Torres is here. Um, I don't know who else I might be missing. Um, yes, Joel Weiland is here, of course. Uh, I'm just thankful, really, really thankful for all of you guys and taking the time it takes to prepare for this. And then obviously all the rest of you guys for taking the time to be part of this event. You know, we've heard from um, fathers, grandfathers, brothers, teachers, business owners, single people, married people. And, of course, one of my favorites from this year was back in March with Pastor George. And, and this event has grown and continues to grow because of, because of you. And I'm very, very grateful for that and for your support. Um, you know, one of our, uh, um, our speakers uh, coming up in January is uh, Jesse Anderson. Jesse's on staff here at church. Jesse, just raise your hand quick. Um, Jesse and I have been friends for a long time, and I just continue to be amazed and, and admire his leadership ability and his ability to learn. I was sitting with him at a, at a conference recently, and he said, this is my fifth conference in like two months. I was like, my gosh, you're going to a lot of conferences. But this guy is like a powerhouse of leadership, of time management, of just learning how to be a better, a better guy. And so I can't, I can't wait to hear from him in January. Our next men's breakfast is January the 6th. Uh, and he's going to challenge us to work, uh, work on whatever is the biggest issue in each of our lives. His question to us is, are you proud of the major, major areas of your life? If not, what are you doing about it? So uh, I look forward to seeing you guys all back in January. Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, spend time with your family. Do it on purpose. Uh, you know, it's easy as this time just to flush through this time and get, get through all of it and schedule, 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 and then you get through it all and say, I don't really think I really connected with anybody. Uh, it's really important that we do that, that we really make sure we're doing things on purpose with intention and, and connecting. So let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful, Father, for all that you've done in and through us in this last year. Lord, as we wind down, Lord, here in the, in the last few uh, weeks of the year, Father, I pray that you would just speak to our heart, Lord, uh, about how we started our year and how we're going to end it. Lord, I pray that we would end it with great intention. I pray that we would love people around us harder than we ever have. I pray that we would pull those around us closely. To, and Lord, um, for guys, it's often hard to actually tell somebody what they really mean to you. And Lord, I pray by, by design, Father, we would let the people in our lives that mean the most to us, like, like Mr. Birch said, let them know that they have made a difference in our lives in this year. Lord, we love you. We thank you for working in us and through us, Lord, to, to, come, to uh, bring about your perfect purpose in our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.